you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hi, and welcome to the broadcast today. I am Jeff Shreve, pastor at First Baptist Church in Texarkana, Texas, and the founder of From His Heart Ministries. And my wife, Debbie, and I have been filling in for Will and Miki this week, and we've been having a wonderful time. We've been talking about uh, negative emotions and the message that God has in our emotions and uh, today we're going to switch gears, though. Debbie is not with me, but we're going to talk about the need for revival in America. The Bible says in Psalm 85, verse 6, Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. God uh, brings revival to his people. Sometimes we think revival is what happens when uh, all these lost people get saved, and that's a byproduct of revival. But revival is really, uh, that takes place when Christians get serious about walking with Jesus, about seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And my people, the Lord says, who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now, I believe that America is in terrible trouble today. I think Romans 1 is coming true right before our very eyes. You know, in Romans 1, God tells us what happens to a society that rejects him, that doesn't want to retain him in their knowledge anymore, that doesn't want his word, his will, his ways. God is a gentleman, and when we say, God, we don't want you anymore, God says, okay, you don't want me, then then I will do as you wish. And uh, God says he will give us over to sexual immorality, and we've seen that in America. God says he will give us over to homosexual immorality and an explosion of same-sex attraction and same-sex marriage and same-sex all sorts of things. We've seen that in America. And then God says that he'll give us over to a depraved mind, a reprobate mind. That's a mind that does not work, a mind that does not function anymore. And uh, we have seen that today. We're seeing it right now. You know, we, we don't know the difference between a boy and a girl. We argue. People who have advanced degrees, people who have doctor in front of their name will actually argue that a man uh, should be able to uh, be a woman and just make that decision that I'm going to become a woman. Even though I'm XY on my chromosomes, I, I, I need to be XX. Well, that's impossible because that comes from God. He made them male and female. But we argue that Uh, that men can become women. We argue that men can have menstrual cycles. We argue that men can breastfeed. I mean, how ridiculous and insane is that? 
The scripture says in Romans 1, professing to be wise, they became fools. They became, literally the word for fools is where we get our English word moron. They became morons. And God gives us over when we don't want to do what he wants us to do. We say no to his word. We say no to his will. We say no to his ways. And God says, all right, you don't want me? Then here you have it. And it doesn't work very well. As Dr. Phil would say, how's that working for you, America? Well, it's not working well at all. Well, today on the broadcast, we are very excited to have with us uh, a guy that I appreciate, a guy that I admire, a guy that loves the Lord, and he loves his wife, and he loves his kids, and he's a bold witness for Christ. He became a household name back in the 80s when he played Mike Seaver on Growing Pains. His name is Kirk Cameron. Kirk, welcome to the broadcast today. Hey, thank you very much. Great to be on with you. How, um, how's it going? I've been listening to you here, and uh, boy, you've always got uh, so many good things for us to talk about. Thanks for having me on the program. Well, thank you for taking the time, Kirk. Um, I have lots of questions starting back from when you first became uh, a famous household name, the lovable and hilarious Mike Seaver on Growing Pains. Let me ask you this, Kirk. I know we're going to talk about quite a few things today, but how does a young guy that just explodes with fame and fortune, how do you handle that as a kid? How old were you when you started Growing Pains? 15? Uh, I was 14 years old when Growing Pain started, and, you know, I never wanted to be an actor. I actually wanted to grow up and be like Ben Carson, a doctor, and uh, my mom took me down to audition with a, a talent agent, and and she sent me out on a couple of serial commercial auditions, and then I picked up this role on Growing Pains, and I became Mike Seaver, and before you know it, uh, <laughs> here I am, this actor, and I don't know that I handled it well or not well. I... It was just my normal uh, for six or seven years. I worked on this show, and uh, fortunately for me, I I was working with great people. My mom and dad, uh, they were very careful not to let me kind of fall off the cliff in, in, in Hollywood. And, and yet I was not a Christian. I didn't know the Lord. That came a few years later when someone took me to church and I heard the gospel and began asking questions, and, and, and that kind of began me down this speaking. That was my beginning down a spiritual road that led me to want to become a follower of Christ. And that really changed everything, including the way I handled all the, the, the popularity and all the stuff you're talking about. And so how old were you when you trusted Christ, Kirk? Uh, I was 17, 17 yeah, me 18. Too. That's a good age. Yeah. Adrian Rogers I, was 17 when he got saved. Oh, was he really? Yeah. That's so great. You know, when I got when I got saved, I, I, I heard from somebody that Billy Graham was getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And they want the, the, the publicist wanted me to attend this ceremony. And I asked my mom, who's Billy Graham? And she, she said, Kirk, she said, who's Billy? And she explained to me who he was. And and uh, I had just become a Christian, so I wasn't even familiar with his name. But it was really cool to be able to meet him, um, and you know, obviously he's a he's a hero, and and revival was what he was all about, and and today that's what I'm pushing for. It's what I see we need as a country. So uh, 
It was yeah. interesting times back there at 17 years old coming to Christ in the middle of Hollywood. Well, now, when you got saved, you were the first one in your family, or were your mom and dad Christians? No, my parents weren't Christians at the time, although my mom went to church as a little girl, and she would say that she loved the Lord. Uh, she just didn't um, really—we we didn't live that out as a family, and we didn't go to church and ever talk about God. But uh, So I would say, yes, I was probably the first one to really trust Christ in a, in a in a more formal way and be baptized. And, and soon after that, uh, the rest of my family started coming to church and coming to the Lord. Cool. Uh, my pastor uh, reminded me, uh, because people would, all, would like, they wanted to hear my testimony, and he said, Kirk, let me just remind you, uh, don't get on your high horse and think that, you know, you, you, know, you, you adding your name to the Book of Life somehow, uh, is, you know, uh, is getting you know, impresses God or, or, or anything right. like that. Let me remind you that uh, you didn't find God in Hollywood. Uh, God wasn't lost. You were, and he found you. Amen. And I thought, you know, that's a great distinction, and one I always need to remember. Well, that is a great word. My uh, experience with you, and I've been with you in three different occasions. You've been at our church twice, and then I was in Malibu, and we got invited to preview the Son of God with Roma Downey and and Mark Burnett. And uh, you have That's always right, been. Yeah. I I didn't know if you'd remember that or not, but you were extremely kind and gracious. Um, you and I'm not just trying to blow smoke. I mean, you you are. A, genuinely nice person, humble person, and I think that's why God uses you in such a great way. Well, okay, well, Jeff, so he... that, That's very kind of you to say that, but you know, I'm an actor. I could be faking this whole thing. You told me that. I think I told you that, that you were a super guy, and you told me you were an actor, and then, but I didn't believe you. I, I still thought you were a good guy. Uh, all right, Kirk, now you are a positive person. Would you not agree? Well, I, 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 I suppose if, if we just take it at face value, or, or you could tell me more specifically what you mean. I well, mean, I mean, uh, you're a, you're, you seem to be a glass half full, not a glass half empty kind of guy. Well, you know, it depends. If we could start talking about my chihuahua and all the trouble he causes me and how he pees on the floor and all that stuff, I get glass half empty real quick. <laughs> I have chihuahuas, but too. We're talking about the power of the gospel chase darkness off a cliff and transform the world, then I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a half full kind of guy. Okay, so as you look at America today, are you half full or half empty? Oh, oh, half full. I'm more than half full. Now, I'm also a, a realist, and I understand that when we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. Just like you said uh, a few minutes ago as you were talking about, uh, how, how's, this, how's this running away from God stuff working for us? as uh, Dr. Phil would like to say, not very well. And, right. you know, I, I look at Romans 1, and I can see that pattern playing out in our country and in any nation that says, no, I think, I think it doesn't make any sense, doesn't really give us much value to remember God. Let's just start worshiping ourselves and everything else, and uh, we'll, we'll actually consider ourselves wise while we actually turn into fools. Our hearts are darkened. We start getting into all sorts of dark lusts and, and other perverted things. And then we get confused about who we are, why we're here. Uh, we think that we're all that really matters. And then we go down this road of bondage, 
poverty, hopelessness. And I think that we're on our way in that direction, but I have great hope that the family of, of God will wake up from this stupor, from this intoxication that we have with our own greatness, and we humble ourselves and turn back to the Lord. It's happened in the Great Awakening. It's, it's happened several times before in our country, and it's happened around the world. It's called revival, and, and I think it's the only thing that will pull America out of this, this, uh, this death dive that we're in, morally, spiritually, economically, politically. Uh, but I have every reason to believe that it can happen, because we see it in the Scriptures, and history proves that it's possible. Well, and that's a that's a great word, and I've I've told our church that you know uh, redemption doesn't come from the White House, and deliverance doesn't come from the White House. Whoever's in the White House, it comes from God's house. And when God's people get right and get serious and call upon the Lord, and yeah. they follow in the footsteps of Nineveh, and not in the footsteps of Pharaoh, you know, you harden your heart against the Lord because bad things are happening. That's the formula for disaster. But if you'll humble yourself yeah. in sackcloth and ashes and pray and fast and say, God, have mercy. I, I just deserve judgment, but I need your mercy. God responds to that. Yeah, amen. I, amen. And, and um, you know, we, we, we can I, – I, I remember exactly the, the, the preacher. I think it might have been Bodie Bauckham or, or uh, another, another one, of, one of the powerful preachers that I like listening to. He said, you know – um, if we send our children to Caesar to be educated, we shouldn't be surprised if they come back Romans. And many of us look at what's going on with our kids and the next generation, and we say, well, wait a second. I mean, it does kind of make sense, right? Like, right. if we hand our kids over to uh, a secularized educational system that teaches our children to divide themselves up over race, and to hate our country, and to hate themselves, and to want to do away with marriage and family, and to hate God, well, it it makes sense that our nation is going to suffer. And so uh, I I agree. The only way that we can turn things around and right the ship is when we take responsibility as the family of faith, and we raise our kids and train them up in the way that they should go. Amen. When we get back from the... Kirk, don't mean to cut you off. We've got to take a break, but we're going to talk about American Campfire Revival when we come back. Welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here, filling in for Will and Miki on airing the Addisons. Today we're talking to actor and producer, Mr. Kirk Cameron. Kirk, welcome back to the broadcast. I wanted to talk to you about... Yes, thank you. I wanted to talk to you about American Campfire Revival. Tell us what that is. 
Well, the, the American Campfire Revival is a name I gave to something that I started earlier this year um, where I, I, I made a campfire in my backyard and talked about the principles of revival for uh, America. And I know that's something that's, that's important to you, uh, Pastor, uh, and I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why I started it. It was really out of great frustration. You know, after the, I mean, remember 2020 and the election and, and, and the Capitol building and, and everything that's been going on, I heard everybody talk about the first hundred days of the new administration. And I thought, you know, that's really kind of a, it's a, it's a tradition that started, I think, with, uh, uh, with I can't remember, maybe it was uh, Roosevelt or, or someone. And everyone's interested in the first hundred days. And I thought, well, the president's got a plan for the first hundred days, but I'm not so sure this is going to bring us the hope we're looking for. What's our plan as the family of faith? I mean, we, we're the hope of the nation, God's children. And I thought, well, I don't see a plan, so I want to start a plan. And it might not be the best, but it's something that I can do. And it's going to be based on the executive orders that God gave us from heaven. Humble yourself and pray turn from your wicked ways, and seek my faith. And so I made a campfire in my backyard. I, I propped up my phone. I turned on Facebook Live, and I started teaching through a book called The American Covenant, The Untold Story. And I was just blown away by what I learned, and I had, you know, maybe 10, 20,000 people a night learning these principles of the forgotten covenant that our country was based on and produced the blessing and the prosperity and the strength that we've been enjoyed for the last 400 years since the pilgrims. And uh, that's been known as the American campfire revival, a hundred days of campfires live in my backyard. And uh, we're now traveling across the country meeting in person. Now that we're not locked down here in, uh, in the communist state of California, <laughs> and we can actually go outside our homes and start to meet in churches and barns and fields for these revival meetings. Yeah, so Kirk, you're coming to our church on October 10th, so we are looking right. forward to that. Uh, tell us what we should uh, be expecting in that gathering. Well, uh, we're calling it a night of revival under the stars, and uh, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't love to gather around some fire uh, and roast some marshmallows and sing some camp songs. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about this blessed nation that we have had the privilege of living in, how to keep it strong and safe. Uh, we're gonna be worshiping God. We're gonna go back and learn about the original American covenant and the faith of our forefathers, and and deal with some of the questions about our country, about its history, and and, and learn how we can repentantly reaffirm the original American covenant, that promise, that sacred relationship between God and individuals, God and his church, and God and, and a nation. Uh, so it's going to be a, a night of inspiration and encouragement, uh, and hopefully a, a night that sparks the fires of revival in your heart and in your home. Amen. Well, we're, we're telling people we're going to gather to to not only do that, but to pray and to seek the Lord's face and to uh, really ask him to 
you know, as the psalmist said, will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Now, Kirk, are yeah. you going to be incorporating some of the things from Monument in this uh, in this American Campfire revival? So uh, in terms of the Monument, uh, I think you're talking about uh, uh, I made a movie called Monumental that. Oh, Monumental. Uh, yeah. The the national, yeah, there's a, there's a monument called the National Monument to the Forefathers, which spells out the secret sauce recipe uh, that the pilgrims used to lay the template for the Constitution, the, uh, the Declaration of Independence, and the principles that our country was founded on. Um, yes, I will be talking about the monument, because it, 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 it essentially is the, the great recipe of the Shema that we find in the Bible. This is, this is God's recipe strategy for liberty and blessing and strength for a thousand generations. And, and now more than ever, we need to get back to these things. I think, I think we're headed for, headed for the falls as a nation, and we need to turn the ship yes. around. And yes. uh, we've got no time to lose. No, that's for sure. I was fascinated when I saw that movie, The Monu- Monumental. Um, th- that statue hasn't been torn down, has it? No, it has not been torn down. Good. And uh, we must never let it be torn down because it spells out the biblical principle, the historically proven way to restore liberty to individuals, to families, and to an entire nation. Amen. Yeah, I was uh, for our listeners, if you've never seen that, that film that Kirk did, it's, it's excellent. And you will learn a lot. So yeah, Kirk, when you were talking about American campfire revival, I immediately, my mind went to monumental and I thought, well, there's going to be, there there are going to be a lot of things that are going to be shared there because that is the backbone of America as it began as a nation, one nation under God. Well, Kirk, let's, let's change gears a little bit. Um, you have a new film that you're working on with the Kendrick brothers on the issue of adoption. Is that right? Yeah, there's, there's, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a very inspirational movie based on a true story, um, and it's all about uh, the the value of of life, life in the womb, uh, life outside the womb, and also the beauty of adoption. And this is really close to my heart because uh, my wife and I have four adopted children. My wife herself is adopted, and uh, if, if if my wife had been uh, aborted, we wouldn't have our true, two natural-born children either. So my whole family is here because somebody, uh, a bunch of people, value life in the womb and uh, and showed us the beauty of adoption. So this is a really cool story. I, I had a chance to produce it together with the Kendrick brothers. Those are the guys that made the movies War Room, Fireproof, Courageous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm also playing the dad in the movie. So it's going to be coming out next year, and uh, it's it's just beautiful. You're going to love it. Good. So all the filming is done. Yeah, all the filming is done, and um, it was really cool because in the movie, I got to play a character uh, ten years older than than myself, and then ten years younger than myself. So I have a twenty year age range in there. So I got to, you know, they 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 put more gray in my hair, more wrinkles on my face, and they would erase the wrinkles and wash out the gray. And we had to go back and forth, back and forth. The filming's all done. 
Uh, we've seen the rough cut. It is inspiring and wonderful. Now we're putting in the music and uh, all, all the color and, and all of that. And you'll be hearing about it uh, probably at the very beginning of the year. Excellent. I know that the Kendricks have a, a movie coming out in September, I believe. Show us the father. I don't know if you've gotten yeah. to see that. It is powerful. Yeah. That's that's a powerful documentary about fatherhood. They're, they're always up to good things, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they are. Okay, Kirk, let me ask you this question because um, you are a big target and you have been very bold, very outspoken. Um, you're not a, a Christian that, that is uh, in the secret service. How do you handle the criticism that comes your way from being so high profile and so outspoken? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. You know, it was interesting, Jeff. I, I, I have a whole different perspective on playing the, on what it really means to be victimized. We, we live in such a victim, a, a victim celebrated culture, don't we? It just seems like, boy, if you're a victim, if you've been criticized, if you've been oppressed, you're a victim. And, and so you kind of have this special status that you get to enjoy of, of being felt sorry for and protected and, and uh, defended. But, you know, I went to a dinner two nights ago, and Dennis Prager was there interviewing a woman named Yeonmin uh, Park. She is the young lady who escaped from North Korea. She explained how 50 people died in her family because of her treason against the leader of North Korea and how only 200 people in the history of North Korea have ever escaped. And the stories she tells, the harrowing stories, you just wouldn't believe it. If you haven't seen it, you could watch uh, her tell her story on the Joe Rogan podcast. It's three hours of riveting content. And she was ultimately saved by some Christian missionaries in South Korea. And when you listen to her story, Jeff, I can't even, I'm not even on the map with regard to being someone who has been victimized or criticized by people who don't agree with me. She completely redefined it. And so I feel so, so blessed, right? You and I have not experienced stoning or being burned at the stake. We get people calling us names, but my goodness, uh, that, that's the least that we can endure uh, living in a country that stands for religious freedom. What we need to do, I think, is we need to get a backbone. We need to get off the defense. We need to stop crying in our Chick-fil-A soup about our culture <laughs> being taken away, and we need to start. We need to pull a George Washington. We need to pull a Paul Revere. We need to, we need to pull a Billy Graham, and we need to start preaching the truth that begin to produce the mercy of God and the revival of the church. Because when the church wakes up, the country has life flowing back through its veins. And that's, that's our responsibility. That's happening on our watch. That's a great word. Um, I, I often go back to uh, Acts chapter 4 when the uh, disciples were... Uh, mistreated by the Sanhedrin and they were threatened, you know, don't speak anymore in that name. And uh, they went back and they got together and they prayed 
And they said, now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence, may speak your word with boldness. Yeah. While you, ex- you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, and when they prayed that prayer, the place they gathered together in was shaken. God was saying, amen. I like that prayer. And I'm going to give you boldness. Uh, we need some bold people yeah. and we need some bold preachers. And uh, yeah, yeah. I just appreciate, uh, Kirk, the fact that you, uh, you're willing to stand up for Christ and you're willing to uh, be, as the scripture says, be a fool for Christ uh, if need be. And, and uh, you know, I, that's kind of my attitude. Well, it's like, hey, I didn't write the Bible. Uh, this is what it says. I'm just here to tell you what it says. Yeah. Well, Jeff, I appreciate your your candidness and your courage. And the way that I look at it is, look, I'm 50 years old. I've got six kids. And this country's going to go to hell in a handbasket. Uh, and, and I don't appreciate even, you know, the, I don't appreciate the people that say, well, you know, uh, I'm actually not too worried about it. You know, finally, we're seeing, you know, revelation unfold. Things aren't falling apart in America. Things are falling into place. And I go, Really? Now, I, I, I can appreciate your, your eschatology, but if you've got kids, what are you going to tell them when they say, Dad, why are they taking you off to uh, prison? Why, why can't we have church anymore? Dad, our founding fathers said we needed to fight for this stuff and that freedom is one generation, generation away from extinction. It doesn't get passed down to us in the bloodstream, um, that God was sovereign over not only the church and the family, but God's sovereign over civil government, and that we needed to put men and women of faith and character in leadership so that this didn't happen. Dad, how did, how did all this go down? Why didn't you guys do something? Well, you know, Romans 13 says that we just need to do everything the government says, and so we just, we just let them all take over. Well, wait, wait a second, wait a second. How about we humble ourselves and pray, and that you and me begin to support godly leadership in our family, in our church, our community, in our, our local and national government, and we actually provide a future for our children where they can still go to church. See, that, that's the way that I'm thinking, and that, and that if my garden is wilting and dying, uh, i got to remember that I'm, I'm the gardener. It's happening on my watch. And I think that God has given us a strategy for blessing and strength so the gospel can flourish on earth not get, you know, uh, locked away in a box in some uh, some prison cell. So right. if we have to go to prison, we go. We, right. If we have to be that way, we go. However, uh, there's, a, there's another alternative, and it's called liberty and blessing. And that's what I want for my children. I don't, I don't want to consign them to the opposite because of my apathy and complacency as a Christian. Amen. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you teaching your kids uh, what's important and how to stand up for the Lord. And so, Kirk, all your children know the Lord? Well, I guess only the Lord knows that, but, but uh, I sure hope so. And, and you know, our, our kids are all forging their own path, so that's, that's not my sneaky way of saying some of them are, are little reprobates. Uh, I believe all of us are reprobates. And I know that under the, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, God's going to have his way in their hearts. And, and I'm encouraged by the things that I see. But, uh, you know, that's something I pray for daily. Amen. 
Amen. Well, you've been listening to Kirk Cameron. Kirk, thanks so much for being our guest. You're a great guy. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you in October. Pastor Jeff, I, I so appreciate you. Thank you, if I could just say, um, for all that you do, for your, your faithfulness to, to uphold the reputation of Christ. There's so many preachers and pastors that, uh, I don't know, I just they just seem to take... All right, welcome back to the broadcast. Pastor Jeff Shreve here. We're talking to Kirk Cameron. Kirk, you were saying something right at the break, and I think we got uh, hit with a hard cutoff, but uh, it would seem to be nice about me. So do you want to continue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I was just saying how how critical it is that pastors take their responsibilities seriously. And uh, serious about humility, serious about uh, being uh, loyal to the truth of God's Word and and understanding that our hope is in the Gospel. And you've done that. Uh, others, not, not, not all of them have. In fact, sadly, many of them have not, and it's been disillusioning for many of us in the pews. And so I just want to say thank you and keep up the good work. Oh, well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. You know... Second Timothy four, Paul's last chapter is very, very uh, straightforward to preachers. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and by His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. I don't understand why guys don't do that, um, and that's why I have uh, tremendous respect for guys like you, Kirk. That. Uh, Although God hasn't called you necessarily be to be a preacher, you're using uh, the platform God has given you to speak out and to make a difference and to uh, help untold millions of people uh, in their marriages, in their families, and to be a bold witness for Christ. Well, um, you know, I, I think you, you and me, and and everyone who's been saved by the kindness of God believes that we, we, we found the jackpot. We found something more valuable than the cure to cancer. We found forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. And as, as, as sure as anything, I know that I'm headed for a six-foot hole at the end of my life, like Phil Robertson likes to say, and I will stand <laughs> before God to give an account of my life. And because of that, I am so grateful for forgiveness and for eternal life that comes through the gospel, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. That, that's, that's, why, that's why we do it. We're looking at the alternatives, and we're saying, clearly, this is the better deal. And, uh, and, and, and he hung on a cross for us, and, and people died to give us the freedoms that we have uh, to live in this country. And so surely we can live for God and stand up for what's good and right for our kids. Yeah, amen. Well, you know, um, 
I think as things get more difficult in our land to stand up for righteousness, you get you get more shots from uh, coming from the left or even coming from uh, people that call themselves Christians but want to, you know, as you were saying, want to go Romans 13 and just say, hey, we just do everything the government says and we don't, uh, there's no pushback. Um, you know, Eric Metaxas is big on saying, hey, that's what they did in Nazi Germany until it was too late. We have to right. stand up. Uh, while there's still time to stand up. And so... Uh, That's right, Jeff. And... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, well, you mentioned Eric Metaxas, and he's such a wealth of information, such a, such a treasure uh, of historical truth. And, you know, uh, you mentioned Romans 13, and, and for those who are interested in this argument uh, and know what we're talking about, uh, the idea is, you know, obey the governing authority, uh, uh, and, and that's true, but what most people forget is that America is a different structure of government than China or Nazi Germany. We don't have a Fuhrer, and we don't have a king. The supreme authority in our country uh, under the Constitution is we the people. I mean, we have, we, we have a government that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. And it's actually our responsibility to remove leaders that break their covenant with God and abuse the people. That's the form of government that we have. It's not to roll over like sheep and be abused by the abusive tyrant who mistreats people and breaks covenant with God. No, we are for the blessing of the people, and so we need to do what's right under law to make sure that people are being governed by good and godly men and women. Amen. We don't have that today. Now we have pockets. We have some, some good governors. Um, you guys don't really have one there in California, but uh, we have a good one in Texas. Well, we, our, our governor uh, has, uh, he's being recalled. And so within a few days we have, the opportunity to really put our money where our mouth is and put feet to our face. And uh, we've got some good candidates, and, and there's a guy named Larry Elder who uh, shares so many of our values that uh, I, I think it would be a great step in the right direction if the family of faith really stepped up and, and participated in this recall election. Yeah, I hope they do. Do you know him, Larry Elder? Do you know him personally? I know of him. I do not know him personally, but I know many pastors and others who do know him personally, uh, and they say great things about him. So I'm I'm grateful that he's he's on the scene. Yeah, me too. Well, our nation definitely needs we need boldness and we need prayer. And so, Kirk, you've been yeah. very gracious with your time. I know that you can't stay for the for the whole hour, but um, would you lead us in a prayer for our land? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. All right, let's let's pray. Oh God, you're so you are so kind and gracious. You've been so merciful to us as uh, as your sons and daughters. You uh, you set us free from our sins. You paid the price that we could never pay. You watched your son uh, die on a cross, and you raised him from the dead. And now we have hope, Lord. Death and darkness and evil is on its way out. And uh, 
we can proclaim joy to the world, but Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll never be able to back that up if we stay prideful. Mm-hmm. And, and everything needs to start with the family of faith. So God, we're asking you, please, on our knees, we're asking you, humble us. Get us into that position of humility that you require, where we see ourselves for who we really are, totally dependent upon you. We're just the creatures. You're the creator, and you're the source of our life and our liberty. Oh, God, teach us how to pray. Turn us from our wicked ways individually. Turn me from my personal wicked ways. Drag all my sin out of the closet into the open, Lord, so that I can repent of it and seek you for mercy. Show us, Lord, the right way as families and as a nation. Bring us back to yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Kirk, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. And I will see you in just a few weeks and uh, look forward to it. So God bless you, my brother. I can't wait. Thanks, God man. bless you too, Jeff. All right. I'll see ya. Well, we've been talking to actor, producer, and all-around great guy, Kirk Cameron. And uh, Kirk has been at, at my church, First Baptist Texarkana, on two different occasions talking about marriage. And he brought his wife, Chelsea, beautiful Chelsea Noble, that uh, lady he met on the set of Growing Pains and fell for her pretty fast. And they got married in 1991. And uh, Kirk lives out what he believes. Um, He is uh, genuine and he is true. And uh, he has feet of clay just like you do, just like I do. Uh, But he walks in the light with the Lord. And, uh, you know, the Bible says, uh, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood uh, of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. You know, as Christians, we desperately need to walk in the light, because that's the only place that you have fellowship with the Lord. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with sin. You do, I do, we do, the Apostle Paul did. Read Romans 7 and see how he struggled with sin. But here's what we do. We keep bringing our sin to the Lord. We keep confessing our sin and asking God for his forgiveness. And the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us us from all sin so that we can walk in the light with him. Uh, Just a, a couple of weeks ago, I preached on John 13 where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And I remember as a young Christian, I read that and uh, I didn't understand it at all because Peter didn't want the Lord to wash his feet. And the Lord said, well, if I don't wash you, you don't have any part with me. And then uh, Peter said, well, Lord, then wash me all over, not my, just my feet, but my hands and my head. And the Lord says, no, you don't need that. If you've been, uh, if you've been bathed and cleansed, you only need to have your feet washed. And I still remember uh, hearing a sermon by Adrian Rogers, my favorite preacher in the whole wide world, Adrian Rogers, and he was explaining what's the difference. The difference is a Christian is somebody who has been cleansed by the Lord. But just like in first century uh, Israel, you walked with sandals, your feet would get dirty, so you would have to have your feet washed. You didn't necessarily have to wash your whole body. You would just have to wash your feet. 
And in the Christian life, we come to the Lord. That's how we become Christians. We come to him in repentance and faith, and we receive cleansing. He washes us white as snow. And then he puts us on the narrow road leading to life, and we walk with him. But we still fall. We still fail. We still sin. And we have to keep coming to him to get our feet washed so that we can walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Well, we have been talking about revival and the desperate need for revival. And uh, Second Chronicles 7.14, uh, that is such a key verse. Now, it was given to God's Old Testament people, but I believe that it's for all of God's people that we can claim it today. And if my people, God says, who are called by my name, we really belong to him and we're called by his name. If we will humble ourselves and pray, that's what Kirk was praying, that God, that we would be humble before you, that, that we wouldn't have a hard heart like Pharaoh, where all these plagues were coming upon him and he just kept hardening his heart and hardening his heart and hardening his heart. If my people, the Lord says, who are called by my name will humble themselves. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble humble themselves and pray. You know, when we don't pray, it's just evidence that we think that we have this. We don't really need God. Hey, God, I got this. And so I'm not really calling upon your name because I know how to do my job. I know how to do my marriage. I know how to do uh, my ministry. And I, 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 God, I want, you know, a little bit of your help, but, but I don't really need you. Um, we, we desperately need the Lord as John the John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. So we humble ourselves and pray because we say, God, apart from you, I can do nothing, nothing that matters on eternity's clock, nothing that makes a difference uh, for the kingdom of God. So I need you, desperately need you every hour, every second of every hour. If we humble ourselves and pray and seek his face, now not his hand, but his face, his hand is, is what he can give us, the blessings of God. And many people seek God for what they can get out of God. But we don't seek God when we're really getting right with him. We don't seek him for what he can give to us. We seek him for him. We seek his face. It's God, I don't want your blessing. I want you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be made right with you. I want to get my sins forgiven. I, I, want to, I want to really walk in the light with you. I want to put you first. I want to do business with you. I want to sit at your feet and listen to your word and to know that I'm right with you. Sandy Patty, who had gotten way far away from the Lord and was walking in darkness and lying like she was walking in the truth, when she finally came to that place, she said, God, I don't care what it costs me. I don't care uh, what kind of consequences I have. I just want to be right with you. And she got honest before the Lord, and God did such a, a work of cleansing that times of refreshing would come to her heart from the presence of the Lord as she repented and has, as she returned to him. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, what does God do? Then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Listen, Christians hold the key for what happens in America. If we will get right, and if we will stand in the gap, 
and we will let God do a new and fresh work in us. We will be amazed and how that will change our homes, how that will change our marriages, how that will change our churches, how that will change our communities. And that spills over to the surrounding cities and God is glorified. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. I pray that you would have a great Labor Day weekend. Continue to pray for the folks in Afghanistan. Continue to pray for our government. Continue to pray for our military and our first responders. And ask the Lord to begin revival in you. God bless you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.